Welcome. We are so blessed that you're here with us today to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever you are in the world, we send to you our Christ-like brotherly love into your home. We are wrapping up the book of 1 Peter. It's been an amazing book. I personally have been so blessed by it. We began by looking at how we can live in hope in the midst of this pandemic because of Jesus. And then we transitioned and saw that we can be fearless also because of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I grew up being afraid of the dark. In fact, I was afraid of a lot of things. Then I encountered our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus worked in my heart and helped me to overcome those fears. In fact, recently one of my children asked me, Dad, are you afraid of anything? Because I don't think you're afraid of anything, they said. And to be honest with you, this last month of May has been one of the most difficult seasons of work in my life. And there were moments that I was indeed gripped with fear and anxiety. Have you experienced the gripping power of fear? I've seen how the fear of heights is able to paralyze a strong grown man from taking even one more step. That's how powerful fear is. And there are many things in our lives that are causing us to be fearful. As I have been meditating on the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, I have wonderful news for you. I discovered that there were things in my life that were making me susceptible to falling into the trap of this fear and anxiety cycle. And I believe as you and I look at this passage together today, you too will have the same realizations. Friends, the title of our message today is Win Over Fear. You and I can be victorious over our fear because of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna look at that together in 1 Peter chapter five. Let's get right into the outline of our passage today. If you look at 1 Peter five, you will see that from verses one to seven, we will see to overcome fear, we need to be humble. Now you may say, humble, humility? What does that have to do with overcoming fear? Like I, like I said, there were things in my life that I discovered, I was even aware that I was struggling with certain things. Humility has everything to do with overcoming our fear. And we're gonna see that. And then we're gonna look at verses eight and nine. And, and from there, we'll see that we need to resist the devil because we do have an enemy. We do have a foe. And then we'll be looking at verses 10 and 11 and we'll see that overcoming fear, winning over fear is really enabled by us trusting in God. So let's get right into the passage. First Peter chapter five, verse one. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. This is Peter speaking. And I want you to, to notice how he addresses the leaders of the church. The word therefore means in light of everything that we've learned from first Peter chapter one, all the way to first Peter chapter four, Peter is now exhorting, he has a special message for the elders. And we all know that Peter is the leader of the early church. 
he was the designated leader. But look at his humility. He calls himself fellow elder. Not somebody that's above them, but somebody that's serving with them. And he goes on to describe himself as somebody who has witnessed the suffering of Christ. Peter saw how Jesus was captured in Gethsemane, how there was the mock trial, how all his closest friends betrayed him. Peter saw how Jesus was made fun of, beaten, had the crown of thorns, even crucified. Jesus suffered and Peter saw that. And that's how he is identifying himself. I am a witness to the suffering of Christ. But Peter goes on to say that he is also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So the glory will fully be revealed when Christ returns or when we are with Christ. But Peter, for the meantime, he was there during the transfiguration. He was there when Jesus rose again from the dead. He was there when Jesus did the, the many miracles of healing, casting out demons. And he was there when Jesus ascended to heaven. So Peter saw the glory and the power and the beauty of our Lord. And that's how he's describing himself. And it's very interesting because the entire book of 1 Peter, really the, the message that Peter gives us divinely from God is really also a reflection of the life that he had lived. And we'll see that as we, as we go through this chapter. So what does he say to the elders, to the leaders? You see, to be humble means we also need to be humble leaders. You may not be an elder right now, but all of us in some way, at some point in our life, are going to be leading. Maybe you're leading your family. Maybe you're leading um, at school. Maybe you're leading at the office. Maybe you're leading a small group. And so the principles we learn about what it means to be a good leader can be applied in our lives. But let's see what Peter says. He goes on to say, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter begins by describing the role of a leader as a shepherd. And back then they understood what a shepherd was. A shepherd is somebody who cares for the sheep. A shepherd is somebody who feeds the sheep, who nurtures the sheep, who protects the sheep. And as a leader, that is our primary role. We are to take care of our families or take care of the people that God has entrusted to us. In this case, the leaders of the church were to take care of the flock that God had entrusted to them. And Peter goes on to say how not to lead or what are the motivations that we should not have and what are the motivations we should have. And I want to thank John Piper for this um, table I'm going to show you in a little bit. But let's go look at the, the motivations that we should not have. So the motivation behind leading with compulsion is one of fear. The motivation behind leading for sordid gain is greed. The motivation behind not yet lording it over those allotted to your charge is pride. You know, we want recognition. We want position. And a lot of leaders don't start off this way. But over time, if we're not careful, our motivations can change. And we start living for ourselves. You see, this kind of leader is identifiable by these traits. He, is he or she is basically a joyless and selfish leader. 
But I praise God that Peter tells us how we are to lead. And he goes on to say by saying, we should not live out of fear, but we should, li- we should lead voluntarily according to the will of God. And if you look at everything that 1 Peter chapter 1 to chapter 4 shows us, it talks about how we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus has done so much for us that the motivation of leading, of serving him in faithfulness is, out, is really out of love. So it's, it's, it's a voluntary desire. It's, it's, you're free. You're not under obligation. You, you want to serve because you love him. And the word here is you're secure in who you are. And there's a willingness, a willingness to, to serve because of everything that you've experienced from Christ. And instead of being motivated by greed, there is eagerness, but the opposite of greed is also contentment. And so there's contentment in the leadership role that God has entrusted to you. Again, whether it be at home or at the office or a D group leader, or if you're an elder or a pastor of, of the church, God has called us to be contented and to serve with eagerness and not to serve out of pride, but to serve with humility. How do we know that? He says, proving to be examples to the flock. So it's humble involvement with the people that God has entrusted to you, not lording it over them. And if we are this kind of humble leader, this is what we'll look like. There is a joyful and selfless Christ-like leadership. And I pray that that is the kind of leader that you and I will be. Because when we are leading in this way, we have healthy families, we have healthy companies, and you have a healthy church. When we're leading this way, it's detrimental and disastrous. Is there a lack of joy in your life today? Maybe it's because our motivations have somehow shifted. We're leading out of fear. How do you win over fear? We have to lead with humility. Now, athletes understand that there is a lot of work that goes into um, winning a championship. Leadership is a thankless job. There's a lot of sacrifice that, sacrifices that are made. And you know that even as a, as a head of your family, you have to make sacrifices. Last week or this week, Yuka Sasso, she became the first Filipino to win the U.S. Women's Open Championship. An amazing feat. She put a smile on all of our faces. And as a nation, we, were, we celebrated her victory. It's amazing. And if you look at how she prepared for this tournament, she has been preparing her entire life. And her mom actually um, wrote something, I think it was on uh, Facebook or Instagram, talking about the, the level of discipline that Yuka had uh, all throughout her life, even while they were on vacations. They know that there's a price to pay and they do it because of moments like this, when they receive such a beautiful trophy. Now, let me ask you this, 100 years from now, where is that trophy going to be? What is that trophy going to look like? I can tell you one thing. It's not going to look like it does right now. But Jesus tells us, a hundred years from now, none of us are going to be on this planet. Either Jesus would have come back or we would have gone and gone on ahead and be with him in eternity. But this is what Peter reminds us. He says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
That's an amazing reward to receive from the chief shepherd. You see, all of us are under shepherds. And the reason why we can serve humbly like Christ is because we have him as a model and we know exactly how he served. He washed the disciples' feet. He was a humble servant. And receiving this reward is amazing, but for me, receiving it from our chief shepherd is even more amazing. This reward is eternal. It's unfading. It's a crown symbolizing we have fought the good fight. It's a victorious, a victorious battle and glory. It's going to be beautiful. And God tells us, look, it's tough to be a leader, but he calls us to be faithful and we have much to look forward to from our chief shepherd. Now let's keep reading. He now goes on to talk to the younger men. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And what is he saying here? This day and age of uh, having online services, it's very easy for, for you and I to, to, to watch many things. And that's, that's good. It's good to learn from many different people. But there is an amazing design that God created called the church. And humble people will be willing to subject themselves to a church body. In this case, he's saying, be subject to your elders, to your leaders. And I praise God for many of you. Many of you are part of a small group. Many of you are leading a small group. Uh, many of you are actively helping people come to know Christ through this church body of CCF. And I praise God for that. But I know many of us, or many of you that are watching, also aren't part of a local church. And you have to ask yourself, what is preventing me from joining a small group? Humble people will subject themselves to the leadership structure of the church. And I want to encourage you, if there's anything holding you back, a way to overcome fear in this world, a way to win over fear is to be humble, not just as a leader, but as a follower. Because God has given us each other to help protect us and help us journey. And he goes on to say this, all of you now, so not just the younger men, but even the leaders, the elders included, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. What is humility? I like this defini the definition of humility. Humility is not thinking more of yourself or less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, the problem with most of us is we think of ourselves more. We're naturally selfish people. And it's interesting here. Peter says, we are to clothe yourselves with humility. And the reason why I believe he says that is because when you think of clothing, clothing is not naturally a part of your body, right? It's something that you intentionally have to put on. I intentionally had to put these clothes on today. And just like humility is not naturally a part of who we are, we're naturally selfish people while humility is thinking of others more, we have to intentionally clothe ourselves with humility. And it's, it's towards one another because that's where it's really tested. And let me tell you a story. When I was um, the beginning of this month of May, so this was the same week as, as Mother's Day, I was um, at work um, on a Zoom call 
and I received a, a call from my mom. And normally when I'm in a Zoom meeting, I, I don't answer the phone because it will interrupt the meeting. But because my mom called, I answered it. And she was very concerned about something. And so she shared with me what her concern was. And I listened to her. And as I listened to her and understood what she was saying, I, I said, Mom, I, I got it. Um, I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Now that night, because we lived near each other, and I praise God that during this pandemic, my parents have been around, so they, they come and visit. But that night, she, my mother, also started telling my wife the same thing that she had told me. And I got pulled into the conversation again. So I heard what she was sharing, and I, I told my mom, yeah, mom, I, I got it. I understand what you're saying, and I'll handle it. Now, the next morning, right before going to work, I visited my parents and they were having breakfast together. And my mother again tells me uh, the same concern that she had. And I found myself getting annoyed. So I actually told my mom, I said, mom, I got it. I told you I'll handle it. And I'd stopped my mom from, again, telling me what I already heard and what I already knew. And then so she asked me, why are you reacting. And I said, I'm not reacting. I'm just, I'm just telling you that I've, I've heard this from you already and you're, you keep repeating yourself. And, and she said, well, you know, one day I may have Alzheimer's and I may be repeating myself a lot. So you better get used to this. And you know what? I felt so bad. It, it all of a sudden hit me. I was reacting. So actually I, I, I paused and I said, mom, I'm sorry. Could we uh, rewind that? Could we undo that? Let me, let me respond to you better. I said, can you now tell me what you wanted to tell me again? And my mom was generally concerned about this certain issue. And so she just wanted me to really understand that. And uh, I said, mom, I'm sorry uh, for the way I responded. Do you forgive me? And my mom said, of course I forgive you. And you know, I, as I was leaving, I still felt bad because of the way I responded. I wasn't respectful to my mother. I asked her again, will you forgive me? And she said, Paul, you're now repeating yourself. And you know, I love my mom and I just uh, thank her for her graciousness. But as I was driving to work, I was thinking about what had just happened. And I asked myself, why was I getting irritated? Or why was I getting annoyed when my mom kept repeating that, that thing that she was telling me? And if I were to be honest with myself, the reality is I felt my time was more important than my mom. I needed to go to the office and I felt I just needed to get out of there. And I, did, I, I valued myself, my time more than I valued my mother. And that boils down to pride. You know, are there people in your life that irritate you? I want you to ask yourself before you get irritated or as you're getting irritated, why am I getting irritated? I think at the, underneath all of the, the reasons that you can come up with, you will find that there is something in there that maybe you aren't even aware of. And before you think that um, you're not proud, I found this test of um, questions. It's a self-assessment. And let's, let's look at the uh, self-assessment. I found it on the website of uh, realfaith.com. And I, I took... 10 of the questions, there are more, but let's go through it. And I want you to, to take out a, a pen and paper and just write true or false. This is a self-assessment. So first question, when someone says I have hurt or offended them, 
I tend to think they're the one with the problem. This is a self-assessment. So if it's true for you, you write true. Next question. It's more common for people to serve me than for me to, be, to serve them. Is that true in your life when you go somewhere? Are you quick to serve or are people the ones serving you? It bothers me when I do something good and do not receive credit for it. I feel like certain menial tasks are below me and should be done by someone else. Again, just put true there if that's you or mentally in your mind. Oh, that's me. I have a hard time taking orders, receiving correction, or being under authority. One of the things I've been discovering in my life is I have a hard time receiving correction. It's my pride. I don't, be, I don't like being corrected. I'm a proud person. In conversations, I prefer speaking about myself or having others talk about me rather than listening about other people. Is that you? Maybe in your um, D group meetings, when it's your turn to share, you're very excited when other people are sharing. You know, you, you turn off your camera and you tune out. How about this one? When good things happen for other people, I tend to get jealous and have a hard time being happy for them. Or I have a hard time giving compliments to others, speaking well of others, and honoring others. How about this one? I'm, I think I'm generally better than most people. Maybe subtly inside, that's how you feel. Or this one, I think about myself more than I think about God and other people. I think if we're to be honest with ourselves, most of us would click true here. It's not natural for us to think about others. And so as I have been meditating on 1 Peter chapter 5 and contemplating about this, this issue in my life that I frankly wasn't super aware of, I came to the conclusion, I am a proud person. And that's scary because as you look at this verse, it goes on to say that God is opposed to the proud. I want, I want you to think about that with me right now. God is opposed to the proud. Let me try to help you understand that a little bit more. I know a lot of you here, um, at least in our country, we love basketball. And the NBA is in the middle of the playoffs. I feel bad that the Lakers um, were taken out. I'm a LeBron fan. I know a lot of you maybe not like Le LeBron, but he is a good player. And I want you to imagine that you had to play one-on-one -on -one with LeBron James. He's six foot eight and a half, six foot nine, maybe 260 to 280 pounds. He's just, he's a beast. Now I want you to imagine that your life depended on beating him with one-on-one, on a one-on-one game of basketball. You'd feel hopeless. Now I want you to go back and look at what this verse is saying. God is opposed to the proud. We're not talking about a game. We're talking here about life. And we're not talking about somebody like LeBron James. We're talking about the most powerful, most amazing being in the universe. And he is opposed to the proud. And so as I thought about the reality that, Lord, I have pride in my life, it's terrifying. I live in fear knowing that I'm a proud person. Look at what it says here. He goes on to say, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do you win over fear? Be humble. How do you be humble? The next verse tells us, 
Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. To humble yourself is to submit yourself to God's mighty hand. You see, a lot of us don't want to be under any authority. We want to be under our own mighty hand. We want to be in control of our own life. But God is telling us, look, I don't want you to be proud because I do want to exalt you, God says, but at the proper time. However, when you and I are not humble, not only is God against us, but the Bible tells us that pride leads to destruction. And we know that. We're going to be looking at Satan right after this. And Satan didn't always begin off of Satan. He was quite the amazing angelic being, but pride had entered into his heart. And that led to his destruction. God is telling you today, if you are struggling with pride, to humble yourself, admit it, and put yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's amazing to be under the mighty hand of God. The same, uh, the same hand that could crush us because of our pride, if you put yourself under the mighty hand of God, this is what you'll do. Look at the next verse. You will cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You will not cast your anxiety on God if you're not humble. And part of the stress I experienced last month was I personally was trying to solve all the problems. I had a lot of problems around me and I thought that I could solve them. But time and time again, everything I was trying to do wasn't working. And it was so frustrating. And I praise God for 1 Peter chapter 5 because I've been meditating on this. And I realized, Lord, I am living in anxiety because I'm not humbling myself before you. You know, the moment that I started casting my anxiety on him. My perspective completely changed. And why can you cast your anxiety on him? Look at this amazing phrase, because he cares for you. That's such an amazing phrase right in the middle of this passage. God cares for you. What does that mean? You know, when I was in high school playing um, basketball, we used to go to um, ISM, International School Manila. This was the ISM that was in Bel Air. It wasn't yet at um, Fort Bonifacio. And I remember in one of our uh, games, before the games, you know, you, you warm up by shooting layups and you have a layup drill. And somehow as I was going up for a layup or going up for a rebound, I don't remember anymore. One of my own teammates, his elbow hit me at the corner of my head. And the elbow hitting my head created um, such an impact that my head started to swell. It's like I grew a, a horn and it was the size of a golf ball. And I was, I was resting it and I was laying down on the bleacher trying to, kind of trying to rub it down, you know, because it was so painful. In the meantime, Jenny, who is my wife now, she was a cheerleader and God bless her heart. She ran from the gym all the way to the cafeteria of, of um, the international school and got some ice. You know, she brought that ice back and uh, as she was putting it on my forehead, you know, the ice was very cold, but as I was looking up, I remember looking at this amazing young lady and although the ice was cold, it surely melted my heart for this woman. And it was the care 
that Jenny had for, for, for me at that time. Obviously, nothing happened in our relationship till years later, but I remember that because there's something when somebody cares for you, it does something to you. To be honest with you, during this last month, I, I had to think back about who Jesus Christ is. And as Peter writes this, he's talking about how much Jesus cares for us. Remember, he was a witness to the suffering of Jesus. And as I think about the care that God has for us, we cannot deny how much he loves us because he gave his only son for us. And as I think about that, that draws me to him. It draws me to want to be humble. It draws me to want to surrender to him everything in my life. That's what humility is, is trusting in the Lord because he cares for you. Let's keep reading. Right in the middle of all of this, you have this warning. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's very interesting for me, and I, I didn't notice this until I was meditating on this passage this last month, about how Satan, is a, he is a real foe. We know that, right? In our country, there's a lot of superstitious belief about um, you know, white ladies, capres, manananggals, and all that stuff. But this is not some superstitious belief. There is a spirit world. And here, we are being introduced to somebody who is our real enemy. And his name is the devil. And he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That word devour is, is not like, you know, slowly to uh, nibble at. It's to swallow whole. And, and yes, sin will eat, eat away at us slowly. But Satan looks for opportunities to swallow us whole. And I find it very interesting that in the middle of, the, of this passage, because after this, it actually talks about suffering also, that Satan, when we are proud or when we refuse or try to solve the problems all on our own and are overwhelmed with anxiety, again, the paralysis that you feel, these are opportunities for Satan to come and devour us. Or even when we're suffering, he, he knows at the opportune time to devour us. And so the warning is to be of sober spirit, to be on the alert. What does it mean to be alert? The opposite of alert is to be asleep. And Peter knows this because he fell asleep. Remember at the garden at Gethsemane? Jesus had to go back and tell them, keep watch, be in prayer, lest you fall into temptation. So Peter understood what it means to not be alert. I was on a Zoom call driving and I realized I can't do that because I'm distracted. And as I was trying to pay attention to the Zoom call and I was, I was driving into our office, I didn't calculate the angle of the curve of the driveway. And as I turned into the office, I just scraped the side of the car because I wasn't alert. You know, it's one thing to scratch up a car because you're not alert, but it's another thing to be devoured by Satan because we're, we're asleep. And how do we asleep? How are we asleep? Well, the opposite of being sober is being drunk. And as you think about this, why do people get drunk? 
It could be because for the fun of it. People enjoy that, 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 that time where they feel like they're able to unwind and, and, and have fun with, with other people or even just by themselves. They could be addicted to it, right? It could be because of addiction. But it can also be because of the problem. And I realized that the verse before this talks about anxiety. And in our day, sometimes the anxiety and the pressure of work maybe it's financial pressure, can be so great that people look for an outlet. And as you turn to something else, whether it be alcohol or an addiction that you have, it may even be something like like Netflix, just to forget or to pass time. We are doing something very dangerous to ourselves. We are not being sober in spirit. We are not being on the alert. We are opening up ourselves to be attacked by Satan. Now you have to understand something about Satan, right? There are, there are different ways that he tries to get at us. When I was younger, I, I told you I was afraid of demons, but I praise God for this verse because my mom and dad shared with me that God is actually more powerful than Satan. And you see that here, he talks about different spirits. By this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then verse 3 talks about spirits that, who don't confess Jesus as Lord. And you know that they're not from God. And there is a spirit world. And this is the verse that really helped me as a young person. It says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? All those other spirits, the evil spirits, the demons, the ones that aren't from God. How have you overcome them? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if there's any of you who have fear because of, of the power that Satan has, and he is powerful, I'm here to remind you, God is here to remind you that he is more powerful than this devil and his demons. But there are more sophisticated ways that Satan attacks us. And the two that he uses is he attacks us in our mind and he attacks us through lies. And if you and I don't realize that, if we don't realize how he fights us, you go into a competition or you go into a battle and you don't know how to fight, you're going to fall flat on your feet. And I have a, I have a video to show that. I'm going to show you. I, I went camping with our family, some other family, some of our D group uh, family. And so what my sons were doing is they had flipped the canoes over and they were kind of jousting with each other, trying to knock each other off the canoe. So we said, okay, let's, let's play a game. King of the, of the kayak, of the flip kayak. And so my younger son began and he, he battled against a friend, he won. So my older son came and he battled against my younger son and he won. And now um, being the competitive father that I am, I said, okay, Give me a chance to, to, to battle you, son, my son. And now my son has, has grown leaps and bounds during this pandemic. And here's a video to show you that when you don't know how to fight a battle, you can be knocked off your feet. Let's watch the video. So right, right there, 
I, I didn't realize that there was a certain strategy of how to knock somebody off that canoe. I wasn't ready. I don't know what's more um, embarrassing, my, my little uh, niece laughing at me or my brother-in-law whose um, uncontrollable laughter you can hear in the background. But it was, it was all good. This is fun. This is a game, right? This is, this is fun. I'm happy that my son beat me. But in life, if you and I aren't sober and alert and we aren't aware of Satan's tactics, we're going to get knocked off our feet. And look at the next verse. Verse 9 tells us we are, we are to resist him. Remember, to win over fear, we need to be humble. We looked at that. Second, we have to be aware that we have an enemy and we have to resist him. You see, to be humble doesn't mean that you're weak. You can be bold because you are under the mighty hand of God. And he tells us how to resist them. You have to be firm in your faith. You know, as I was facing that anxiety that I talked about this last month of May, thoughts started entering my mind. These were lies about who God is. They weren't true. And I had to recalibrate. I had to spend time. I had to ask myself, what is true? Because I'm having these thoughts. And if I wasn't sober, if I wasn't alert, if I wasn't meditating on 1 Peter chapter 5, I could have spiraled. It's that quick. It's that easy for any of us to, to be attacked by Satan. So to be firm in your faith is to go back to God's word, to go back to the truth of who God is and to, and to counter the lies. Some of the lies I had is God doesn't really care about you. He's forgotten about you. He's not listening to you. That's not true. We just read about how much God cares for us. I want you to watch now a video of Pastor Irwin. He shares his testimony with us. And he went through some really tough, challenging times. Let's watch the video together. It was near midnight on April 2, 2021, when my wife woke me up and said I had to go to the hospital for a scheduled CT scan. I didn't remember ever scheduling this, but I hurriedly went with my daughters anyway, and they rushed me to the hospital at the orders of a doctor whom my wife consulted. I was still very sleepy when I went through CT scan, and I also had a swab test after that. The results showed that not only was I positive for COVID, but the virus had already damaged a substantial part of my lungs. The doctors diagnosed me as having COVID with severe pneumonia. Immediately, I was taken to the emergency room of another hospital where soon I was sedated and intubated. When I came to, there were tubes running all over me and my hands were tied to, to my bed to prevent me from me removing the tubes from my nose and from my mouth. That was the beginning of my ordeal. Aside from the discomfort of being intubated, I had some difficulty breathing despite the oxygen mask that I wore. As if that was not enough, I felt pain from lying down on my back for more than a week, and I could not find any position to alleviate the pain. To compound my woes, I couldn't sleep, which lasted for several days. If I did, it was only for an hour or two, and as I was awake the rest of the evening and the whole morning. In those moments of utter helplessness, my mind wandered through various thoughts. God was, of course, prominent in those desultory intellections, but they were not all pleasant and good thoughts. I was tempted to doubt the wisdom and goodness of God. Impure and angry thoughts also crept into my mind, and I was taken aback by these thoughts. How could I think of ungodly things in my condition? So I asked God to 
Help me resist the temptation to dwell on things which were not pleasing to him. Besides, I felt that if I allowed these thoughts to run unabated, then that would be the end of me. I mean, how can I expect God to hear my prayers if I cherish sin in my heart? After this, I asked God to help me go through my ordeal and pass the time in fruitful ways. I also asked God to heal me. The truth is that I was already at peace, whatever the outcome was in my bout with COVID. But I intimated to God that I would prefer remaining in this world where I could, by His grace, still accomplish some things for Him. I remembered Hezekiah, who was graciously given an additional 15 years when he cried out to God. And so I prayed to the Lord that if He wills, then would He also give me an additional 15 years? Of course, now that I'm out of the woods, I humor myself by saying I should have said at least 15 more years. But God is sovereign and He knows that when it's best for me to go home. One of the things God impressed on me to forget my pain and agony was to focus my thoughts. That was a great idea. So I asked God what to focus on. And he said that I could think of God himself, his amazing answers to my prayers in the past, and his unbelievable grace that he showered upon me and my family through the years. He also said that I can think about the lessons I'm learning from the COVID experience I was going through, which are a lot when I started to enumerate them. One of the thoughts about God started as a question regarding his goodness. I had always taught others that God is good all the time, even at the lowest point of, my, of our life. But that was easier said than done. When you are actually helpless, immobile, and in pain, you begin to wonder how good God really is. Then God made me realize that his goodness is not dependent on my situation or condition. God is good because that is his nature. And I have to believe it, not on the basis of his blessings, but on the basis of faith. And this is where I began to admire and emulate the faith of Job, who said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It pays to trust in God who healed me, even when doctors did not give me much of a chance to survive my critical condition. It pays to trust in God who heard the prayers of those who literally cried out to him in order for me to pull through my severe sickness. I thank you all for your concern and prayers. They were so precious to me. And I really felt the force of your supplications for me to survive COVID. And by God's grace, I did. I also thank you who generously gave financial and material assistance. I cannot possibly pay back what you have done for me, but God can, and he will pick up the tab. I am Pastor Irwin, and God bless us all, even as we glorify and honor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Irvin, for, for sharing that. Um, one of the greatest fears of people during this pandemic really is getting COVID and, and dying alone. But I just praise God for how you responded and how honest you were in sharing with us the thoughts that entered your mind. I, I love what you shared. And I think this is for all of us. As, as Satan tries to devour us, you know, the Bible says to, to resist him, to be firm in your faith. And you did exactly that. You said that you, God told you to focus your thoughts on him. And I want to encourage you, if you are feeling these, these lies, you're experiencing these lies of Satan and he's attacking your mind, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's why you need to be sober. You need to be alert. You need to prepare yourself every day. And that's what I did this last month. Every day I'd wake up 
And I'd say, God, it's going to be a battle today. I want to be ready. And I thought about who God is, just like what Pastor Irwin did. And the, the times you don't feel the goodness, the, the power of God, or you don't feel that he's working, that's where you have to be firm. It says, be firm in your faith. That's how you win over fear. We be humble. We admit like a child that we need God and we want to be under his mighty hand. We resist the devil. And lastly, we trust God. That's what it means to be firm in your faith, to trust him. And he goes on to say that knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. It gives me comfort to know that Jesus himself suffered. And Peter talks about that, that he witnessed the suffering of Christ. And Jesus says he will never leave us or he will, nor, nor will he ever forsake us. And there are other people who are going through difficult times also in this pandemic. And I pray that together we can stand firm in our faith, trusting and believing in who God is. As we wrap up, it says here, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love this word for a little while because sometimes the difficulty we're going through feels like it's so long. And sometimes it may be a lifetime. But remember last week, Pastor Joby, he had this rope and I'm borrowing his rope and I'm borrowing the example again, the illustration. A good illustration is worth repeating. And I want you to imagine that this rope stretches on for eternity. It goes around the world a couple of times through all parts of the universe. It's, it, it, it represents time. And this is from Francis Chan's example. And he said, this is our timeline. This right here, this tape that you see, this represents our life here and now. And so much of us, so many of us get so caught up in what's happening here and now. But Peter reminds us, the Lord reminds us, it is but a little while. God has called us to his eternal, eternal glory. This goes on forever. You see, how we live, this blip in our timeline, will impact the rest of our eternity. And I, I don't want to be a proud person. I know you don't want to be a proud person. I don't want to be devoured by Satan. I don't want to be overcome by fear. And we don't have to. Because look at this next verse. This next verse says, the God of all grace. He could have just said the God of grace. But Peter, Peter knows what it means to experience grace. Remember Peter? He was so quick to speak. Every time Jesus would say something, he had something to say. In fact, he said, I will follow you till the very end. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denied Jesus three times. And at the end of the book of John, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful part where they're by the, by the water and Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. And Jesus asked him three times. And Jesus keeps telling him, tend my sheep, shepherd my flock. And it's a picture of how 
Jesus redeemed Peter in spite of the mistakes that Peter made, in spite of his shortcomings, the God of all grace. He is the God that has called us to him. And maybe you have not yet given your life to Christ. And so there really is a a good reason for you to be afraid because you've never humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. Well, in a little bit, we're gonna pray together. I want you to pray with me. And maybe you've already been called into God and you've lived as a Christian for some time, but you find yourself starting to believe the lies of Satan. You've made mistakes. Instead of being sober and being alert, you've, you've wasted some time. God is saying, come back to me. Humble, I am the God of grace, all grace. The same God that has saved us through Jesus Christ is the same God who will carry us through to the very end. Look at this. If you can read with me, he is the God of all grace who called you. God is the one who calls us. Where? To his eternal glory. We have an eternal inheritance to look forward to. And we saw that in this book, that it's even protected by him. It's his eternal glory in Christ and he himself, look at this. It's God who will be the one to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what it means that he's the God of all grace. It is him who is doing that mighty work in us. And so one of my, one of my fears is that I will not finish well. You see that all around you, different Christian leaders not finishing well. As I read 1 Peter chapter 5 and as I meditate on it, I am encouraged once again that we have a God of all grace. And if you and I can humble ourselves, we resist the devil and we trust God, we can win over fear. We don't have to be a statistic. We can finish well. We can be victorious because we have the God of grace. And as you go through the difficulty that you're going through, remind yourself that he himself will be the one to perfect you, to confirm you, to strengthen you and establish you. And I think we saw that in the testimony of Pastor Irwin. He's even joking about how he should have asked for more years. I praise God for men like Pastor Irwin. They give us so much hope and encouragement as they are a faithful example of what it means to continue to have faith in Christ. And as we wrap up, it says here, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter didn't end the book by saying to God be the glory. He reminds all of us that this God that we are humbling ourselves under has the power. You see, dominion means Lord of all. He has the power to do everything that he said he would do. You can cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you and he will be the one to take you through. He will be the one to help you to be victorious against the enemy. He will be the one to change your doubting heart and give you a heart that trusts God. That is the grace of God. And I want to close in prayer and I pray for all of us. Pray for you who, if you you haven't yet given your life to Christ, Jesus loves you so much. He died for you. He cares for you. And I want you to experience that assurance of salvation that comes when you surrender your life to him. But you have to be humble. Like Peter, 
if Peter wasn't humble, he wouldn't have been restored. He would have never experienced what it means to be restored as God's leader for this early church. And God wants to restore you. Turn to the God of all grace. Humble yourself before him today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this privilege you've given us to be reminded of this thing called pride. And a lot of us, Lord, actually struggle with this and we don't even know it. I didn't even know it. But I thank you for your grace in revealing to me that I have this issue and I need to humble myself under your mighty hand. And so I pray that, Lord, for all of us. Lord, some of us have been resisting you. We know about you, but we haven't surrendered our life to you. And Father, I want to pray especially for those people who have never trusted in you to be their Lord and Savior. They're still living in fear. And if you're that person and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to make him your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering on the cross to pay for the penalty of my sin. Today, I repent. I humble myself before you. I admit that I need a Savior. And so I turn to you, Jesus Christ, and I ask you to become my Lord, my Master, and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for your promise of eternal life. Please make me into the kind of person you want me to be. And Father, for the rest of us, Lord, there's so much fear around us, but we thank you that you have showed us how to win over fear. And so Lord, I pray for humility for the CCF church body and everybody that's watching here, Lord, give us a humble heart. We want your grace, Lord. We don't want you to be opposed to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God that cares for us. We can cast all our anxiety on you. Thank you that you are a God that we can trust. And as we are attacked by Satan, as we experience and hear the lies in the name of Jesus, we renounce those lies and we hold on to the promise of who you are. Lord, you are good. You are loving. You are all powerful. You have dominion over everything. And Lord, we turn to you and we thank you for what you are doing. Thank you that it is you that will perfect us. It is you that will confirm us. It is you that will strengthen and establish us in this life and more so in the life to come. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, if you have been um, uh, blessed by this message and you have questions, please um, click on the link below. We have uh, a welcome center if you're here for the first time or if you have any questions, just come and engage with us. Uh, we want to invite you to, to stick around. We're going to have um, a Sunday Fast Track and we're also going to have some discussion questions for you and your family. And I want to remind you, next week is Father's Day and it's, it's a special time. I mean, we, we celebrate Father's Day once a year. I want you to invite your friends. My father is going to give a special message on, um, on this wonderful Sunday that we're going to have together. So invite your friends, um, invite your fathers, encourage them to come to the service next Sunday. Thank you for worshiping with us and God bless you. Have a, have a blessed day ahead.